You know, Jesus fed 10,000 with five loaves and two fish. Michael walked us through that and most people didn't see it, didn't see the miracle. And I hope that, that we pause long enough to recognize what God's doing in and amongst us is miraculous. It's, um, you know, we're not that big of a church. I know you think of this room, you go, I can't even get a seat. Well, it's not like this in all the services. Let me tell you, it's plenty of room first service, plenty of room Saturday night. Um, we're not that big a church. 300 or $835,000 entrusted for the kingdom. That's, only God could, could do that. A team takes their weekend and goes. We have partnerships around the world that, you think any, anyone else are smart enough to go there and do what they are doing? No, God at work in amazing ways among us. And I love what Brian shared and we get to hear this because it just reinforces our mission to proclaim Christ, mature in the faith and give our lives away. And I'm telling you, you are giving your lives away in amazing ways and I'm grateful to be a part. Let's open our Bibles. Let's open our Bibles to chapter seven of Mark, seven, one through 23. Rob Sweet, our Franklin teaching pastor was here last week. If you missed it, you missed it, but it's online. And I mean that, I I love sitting under Rob's teaching. I pray you'd go and watch that message, get caught up. He's a gifted, gifted expositor. He reminded us that the leadership and discipleship curriculum that Jesus gives, because he's training these guys, there's a curriculum, Jesus chooses it, they don't. And the same is true for you and I. So we can say today, what we're getting ready to touch on is Jesus's curriculum for us. And you go, well, it's just happenstance. No, it's not, and it never is. The passage that we are looking at today, William Barclay said this. He said, although it may not seem so now, this passage when first spoken was well nigh the most revolutionary passage in the New Testament. What? Well, what he's gonna talk about and what we're gonna see, it's revolutionary because Jesus is gonna show the Jews of his day that their ingrained habits of heart, the, the, the way they did life with God, so to speak, everything looked good, everything felt good, but everything was dead wrong, dead wrong, really, really bad. And we'd be foolish to think that there aren't parts of our own journey, parts of our own lives, faith, life, that we think it's good, it's good, And God may say, you are dead wrong in the way you're going about it. Now, Rob reminded us that for the disciples at this point in their development, y'all, I love when he reviewed it, but you know, can you think about what they saw? I mean, they, they, they saw Jesus heal, you know, from leprosy to paralytic. Three of them watched him raise a dead child. So from death to life. I mean, they've already seen, they're not, not, the resurrection hadn't come yet, but they've seen a resurrection. He hushed a storm and they felt it. Fed 10,000 with five loaves, two fish. And, you know, we could go on and on, but just most recently, they, walked the man walk, they watched the man walk on water. Wow. And yet, chapter six ends with this. But their hearts were hardened. They, they didn't yet fully trust Jesus. How many miracles would it take for you to fully trust God? What, what, what do you need? I don't know. What, what, how many? What, 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 how big do they need to be? I mean, these are pretty gargantuan. I'm asking it seriously. Think about this. How many miracles would God have to do so that you would trust him fully? Believe it or not, there's actually an answer. There is an answer to that question. And the text is gonna give it to us, not directly. I'm not saying it's gonna say, this is how, but it's gonna it's gonna be implied quite strongly. I'm gonna go through the text 
uh, quickly. Uh, I'm gonna talk fast. Uh, I'm gonna move quickly. And part of it is I wanna get to the application because understanding this text is not super hard. I, I'm, I'm, I mean this, it's not difficult. I'm gonna give you some cultural, historical markers that kind of go, okay, I got it, I got it. But then I wanna get and I want us to just slow it down when it comes to applying it, because that's where the rubber and the revolution, rubber meets the road and the revolution occurs when we get down to what does it mean to us. I'm gonna break it into two parts. I'm gonna do chapter seven. I'm gonna do the whole thing. I'm gonna do chapter 24 to 37 next week. Today, I'm gonna do one through 23, two parts. The first is one through 13, the curse of clean hands. That sounds weird, doesn't it? The curse of clean hands. We'll get it when we look at it in a moment. Then I'll grab 14 to 23, and that's gonna be the gift of an unclean heart. So here we got two categories. We'll walk through them, the curse of clean hands, and then the gift, the literal gift of an unclean heart. Seven, one to 13, a few verses at a time, I'll do it. Verses one and two. Chapter seven, verse one, the Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem. Jerusalem sent up a delegation to check this guy out again. And they had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is unwashed. Look for impurity, defilement, impurity, unclean. That's all through the passage. You'll see this is just littered with that thought. Now, they weren't eating bread with dirty hands like mom, you know, your kids come in, you say, wash your hands, you know, because they got dirt and who knows else, what are the fingernails hands. It's not me putting this on my hands, you know, to clean my, you know, clean, I get clean, hygienically clean hands. Not that at all. It's a ritual impurity. Now, what, what do you mean a ritual impurity? It's a symbolic washing of the hands, uh, not, not hygiene. Um, when, when you see a sign along the road and it says falling rocks, okay, that, that's a sign, it's a symbol, falling rocks. Do you avoid the sign? Is it like, get away from that sign. You might, what's the sign doing? It's, it's pointing to the fact that you're in an area of falling rocks. The cleansing of the hands was symbolic. It was pointing to something that, uh, that, that they needed to be, they needed their hands to be, quote, cleansed, you see, before they ate something that might make them unclean. Now, this is going to it's gonna all make sense as we move through this. Well, he's writing to a Gentile audience, so he's not writing primarily to Jews, so he says, I gotta explain this a little more, which he does. Look at verses three and verse, four, verse, three and verse four, in parentheses even, he says, I gotta get this thought in here. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. Here's another thing that's all through the passage, traditions, traditions of men. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. Now, I'm gonna explain this, but let me, let me put something in front of you before we dive into that particular part. These scribes and Pharisees, which are the interpreters of the law and the policemen of the law, <laughs> you know, everybody keeps the law and they, these two kind of make sure everybody does. Their, their goal is really noble, it's right, it's good. See, they understand if you take Genesis to Revelation, if you just simplify the story of the Bible, we might do it like this. The most important thing in the universe is for man to be in relationship with God. That's just fundamental. That's what life is about, quite frankly, for man to be in relationship with God. That's how God is glorified. But God is holy and man is unholy. So man must become holy in order to be with God. That, that's just the fundamental message of the Bible. If I, if I put it in terms that we're gonna read here, let's do it like this. 
uh, most important truth in the universe, man is made to be in relationship with God. God's clean and man is dirty. Let's just, just put it in those terms. You'll see it as defiled, you know, or unclean. So man's gotta be clean in order to be in relationship with a holy God. That's what they were going for, but it's, it's problematic how they went about it. Um, the Jews believe that the way we are unclean, the way we get dirty is, could be by what we eat, could be by what we touch. Uh, and so th they, they're constantly washing, so to speak, to be ritually clean before God. You know, if they went into the marketplace, and he mentions it here, what if you went into the marketplace and bought something from a Gentile? That Gentile touched those coins, and now you've touched the coins. So guess what? You are what? What are you if you've touched Gentile coins that a Gentile touched? You're now dirty, unclean, you know, pick the word, you're dirty. Uh, what, if, what if you bumped into a Samaritan while you were walking through the crowd? Guess what? You're unclean, you're dirty, you gotta go cleanse yourself. And the rules, I was gonna read some of this, but I mean this when I say it, Google it, look it up. You guys can look this stuff up. They're just, it's, it's, it's Byzantine, the things they come up with, and I'm not trying to be mean, but had to use a certain amount of water, half an eggshell foot of water, had to close your fist, had to lift your hand, had the waterfall head down, and then the waterfall, this, it's just on and on and on these rules, these traditions that they came up with. Well, where did it come from? Is, aren't most traditions born out of something reasonable and good, honestly, you know, a good thing? And this was absolutely God, godly in a sense. In Exodus 30, God said, okay, the priest is gonna meet with me. Ding, 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 ding. The priest is gonna meet with God. That's what life's about. Before the priest went in to meet with God in the temple tabernacle, he washed his hands. Everybody saw that. It's not that he washed his sins away, it's just he washed his hands. It's a symbol of cleansing. And everyone goes, oh, to meet with God, you gotta be clean. See that? Symbolic. Well, 200 years before Christ, scribes and Pharisees determined, you know, if it's good for the priests, it's good for the people. Let's everybody wash their hands before worship. But guess what? If, they, if they're gonna wash before worship, let's wash before you eat because you might touch something and get down in your body and get it, your body, your body in. You see what I'm saying? And it just went on and on and on all these traditions as Jesus calls them right here. What's Jesus's response? Look at five through eight. The Pharisees and the scribes ask him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition, the rituals we've put in place, but eat their bread with impure hands? And he said to them, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. We know what a hypocrite is, to be behind a mask. This is who I really am, but I want you to think I'm this, you see. Well, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, the people, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men, neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. You're gonna see tradition, traditions of men all the way throughout this. What are these things? These are the rules, the rituals, the, the, the oral laws. Oral meaning they passed it on. It wasn't written down yet. It's not gonna be written down for years after, several hundred years after Christ. But they had all these rules. You gotta do this, you gotta do this. And it's the scribes and Pharisees who put all these together. And I'm telling you, it just ballooned. <laughs> it just got bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more and more. Jesus says, your rules are precepts of men. He's being very kind. You know, he's really, what he's clearly saying is that's just what men think, but it's not what 
God says. Now, they didn't have the whole Bible. They had the Pentateuch, the five books, first five books. And so these, these leaders, leading the people are saying, look, what we say to you, you need to do, wash your hands before you eat ceremonially, it's equal with scripture. And then, and you're gonna notice this when I read this in the next section, it always gets worse. If you start here, if you start here, put something here. Do you know what's gonna happen? You know what, you know what humanity, what, what we people are gonna do with this? What's gonna happen? And it does. And so now they're gonna say the traditions are in authority over the word of God. Look at verses nine through 13. Jesus gives them the example. He was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. Let me give you an example. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever, I've, whatever I have that would help you is Corban, that is to say, given to God, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down. And you know what? This is indicting. And you do many such things as that. Now, when you look at this passage, I've got circled in my Bible in verse eight, neglecting. And I've got circled in verse nine, setting aside. And I've got circled in verse 13, invalidating. Do you see the progression? You, you, you know, you neglect the word. And then you set it aside. And by golly, now you're just totally... <laughs> It, it, you're making it void. It has no power, has no, no, no authority at all where you've put it now. See, that goes all the way down. That naturally is always gonna go that way. Corbin, the text says, you know, it says given to God. And Corbin is a, is a word that literally means gifted to God. Now, this is shrewd. I'm telling you, this is so humanly explainable. This is what we do. Not just them, it's what we do. They figured out a loophole. They figured out a way around taking care of mom and dad. Uh, the, the is absolutely clear. Honor your father and mother. That never changes, doesn't change for today. Now in that day, there was no social net. There was no help for older people. So it was always, it was the sons and the son, primarily the sons, of course, they would, would do that in this culture. And so what a son might do though is, you know, he might go along and go, man, I have got a lot here and I need a lot to raise my family and take care of them. And so I'm gonna go to the priest and I'm gonna say to the priest, look, everything I have is Corbin. Everything I have is God's. And there's kind of sounds good, doesn't it? Like that's good for you, you know, that's amazing. And, and, and he does, makes it to God. Now, when his parents get old and they come and they need help, what the son will say to the parents rather than help his parents, what is he gonna say? What is it? He says, gosh, mom and dad, I would, I know I need, I, I would really, I would like to help you. Guess what? I can't, I can't because I've given it all to God. Now here's what's crazy about the loophole. Whatever is declared as Corbin, okay, can only be used given to God, but the one who declares it and the one who owns it, guess what he gets to do with it? Live on it his whole life. <laughs> Sneaky, you know, but he, he can use it for himself, but then he says, I can't use it for helping of the parents. And it's just one example of many. Now, why do I call this the curse of clean hands? You, you, honestly, and even for a Jew, this is what was revolutionary. That if you looked at a Jew and said, your hands are clean and that's a curse. Now, I've never said that to a Jewish, Jewish person, but, I, but in this text, this is, this is actually what it is. Why? Well, because they thought that these washings made them clean. 
So, so you know, they're, they're doing this going, this is good, this is right, this is what I'm supposed to do, I'm clean. But Jesus says, look again in your Bibles, chapter seven, verse six, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. Oh my gosh, listen, can I, can I, can I give you another word for far away? Their heart's dirty. See, to be far away from God is honestly, you know, death is separation from God. To be far away from God is not be alive. This is, this is bad. Their heart is far away from me. And when I say this, I want you to know we are, with that phrase, at the heart of the text. Pun intended. Because when I say that, when I say we're at the heart of the text, does anyone in here go, oh, that's a beating organ in the body? Do you think, you don't think that, do you? What do you think when I say we're at the heart of the text? You think um, we're at the most important part. We're at the core. We're at the essence. And indeed, that's what I want you to keep in mind, that Rob said it last week, that the heart in scripture, at, it's cardio, so there's times when it's hard. I mean, it's an organ, yes, but Fundamentally in here, and we know in the context, he's not talking about the organ. He's talking about the center of your being. Men and women, you are more than just this flesh and face and body. You're more than that. There's a, there's a personality that we have. There's a soul. There's the, the mind, the emotions, and the will. There is, as, as the Jews think of it, and the Bible teaches us, there's, a, there's the center of personality. It's your thinker, your feeler, and, and your doer, you see. It's not, don't think even hard as sentimentality and emotions. All, it's all that. It, it, it's, it's all that inclusive, it's where your attitudes come from. It's where, when you choose to do something, you're not robotic, you're choosing out of your heart, you see, when you choose. And that's what we're dealing with here. And that is exactly where Jesus goes. If I tried to summarize this first section, I would say it like this. In faith, what we think is good when unconnected from the heart can be bad. Really, really bad. I'll say it again, the first part. In faith, what, what we think is good in faith, we're doing this, we think this is good. When unconnected to the heart, it can be bad. Really, really bad. Well, how bad? Watch. The gift of an unclean heart, verses 14 to 23. I'm gonna take the whole thing on this one. And after he called the crowd to him, after he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, listen to me, all of you, and understand. Rob said last week, he said, you know, truth has to be known and received. This is what Jesus is saying here. Listen, uh, listen to me, know the truth, receive it. You need to understand this, very important. There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him, but the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. Gosh, what in the world did you mean by that? And Jesus said to them, are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? And don't miss this. Jesus in this moment puts the disciples who've been with him, seen the miracles, watched him, walked with him, slept with him, ate with him, been with him, walked with him, stayed with him in the same category as a the crowd. <laughs> they're not there yet. Just, they're not there yet. Even with all that. Kind of encourages me actually, you know, because I can be so obtuse about things. 
He goes on, because it does not go into his what? What does it say? It doesn't go into his, you eat something, but then it doesn't go into your what? Say it out loud. Into the heart, no, no, no. But into his stomach and it is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. Literally, he's saying this, and I, this, is, this is not even gross. This is, I mean, this is, come on, biology. If you eat the sandwich, it goes into your stomach and it becomes poop and it goes out into the latrine. That, that's literally, it, it's eliminated. It, it go, he's saying it goes into the latrine. See, we all know that, that's a fact. It, it, that doesn't make you dirty because it doesn't touch the what? The heart, you see. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, uh-oh, out of the heart of men proceed, six plural, six singular. I'm not even gonna define these because you know what they mean. We know what these mean. For from within, out of the heart of men proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Wow, he, he, y'all, this, and again, I, I don't think he could be, be clear. What's outside of a person cannot make the person dirty, unclean, impure. What a, let me put it in, in terms I think we will get. What a person does cannot make them dirty. Now that's, you talk about revolutionary, right? That doesn't make you impure or unclean. To make sure they know it's not ceremonial stuff he's talking about here, he's not talking about ritual stuff, he gives the list. You know, that stuff's very concrete, you guys, isn't it? I mean, he's, he just gives, if you've had these attitudes, if you've had these thoughts, if you've ever taken something that's not your own, if, you know, I mean, it's just, if there's anyone in the room who can look at that list and honestly say, I've never done any of them. Well, you just lied, you know what I mean? Now you, that's deceit is yours. And the other one I'd give you is you're foolish. You're foolish. Now, in all seriousness, all seriousness, what comes out of the center of our being, out of our thinking, our feeling, our choosing, the core of who we are, if that's where dirty comes from. This changes everything. I mean, changes everything. Now I want you to put your Bibles, close them. You don't need to look at them again. I want you to put your notes away. You don't need to take any. And I'd like you to listen. I'd like us to go, okay. We un are you with me? We understand the text. I mean, we understand what's happening. We understand historically, culturally, what's going on. Okay, how do, we, how do we apply it to our own lives? What, what, what does it mean for them? What does it mean now for us? I wanna start here, just listen. Track with me for the next few moments. Okay, we said the basic structure of the scripture in life is this. Man was made to be in relationship with God. This is the most important thing in life. This is why God sent Jesus. Okay, we know this as, as Christian, those who believe. God is holy, man is unholy. Man must be 
holy to be with God. God is clean, man is unclean. Man must be clean to be with God. You got that? That's the fundamental structure of what's going on here. When Jesus stepped into this culture, he stepped into a world in which his own children, his own people, Israel, the nation that he formed, that God formed was gonna bring Messiah through and that Jesus came through. He stepped into that and they had taken, by the way, that's why I outlined this, they had taken his word, they had neglected it, then they set it aside and then they invalidated it. By what? By their own rules. Now they thought they were doing a good thing. We're just trying to keep, we're just trying to keep the law here. And so here's what they did. Okay, let's say this. Let's say, let me tell you something. You know, you gotta be pure to be with God or you know, this is kind of silly, but here's the law. No one but the, the pastor touches the pulpit. If any, any of y'all touch the pulpit, you're unclean. And so, you know, we'd go, well, gosh, you know, if y'all came up here to talk to me, one of you might accidentally touch it. So I'm gonna put another law in that says, no lay person can get within three feet of the pulpit. There's the first, see, now, that, now I've, what have I done? I've made a rule. It's kind of, you know, this is gonna help you not do that. And then I think, well, no, somebody may, you know, one of the kids may run into this thing and touch it, and then they would be unclean. So, um, you know, no children allowed in the worship center. Got it? So I got another one. I'm just trying to keep the law here, people. And then we get out here and I go, you know, anyone could, you know, I don't know, accidentally, they may not see it or whatever. So I'm gonna put another law in that says, uh, a, a, a pulpit must be lit with 20 lights. That way everyone will see it, okay? I'm, I, and, and I'm making... I'm getting further away from the thing, but this is good because the further away from it I am, the, more, the less likely I'm gonna commit the stinking crime, you know, by touching it. And finally, I'm gonna get back here and, and, and come up, you come up with something. We're gonna make one more rule that says don't, don't look at a pulpit. Always look around it, okay? <laughs> now, the Jews did this and they called it building a fence around the law. See that? So, so can you imagine the fences that went out around the law? So they built fences so that you would live back here and you know, I, there's just no, I, I'd have to go through all this to get to that. And if I do this, I won't do it. And if I do that and I don't. So they built these fences to protect from getting, becoming unclean. Now, what's the, I wanna do this visually because I want you to look at this and go, what's the problem with this system if, if uncleanness is in the heart, not in what I do or don't do, what's the problem with this system? Where's the uncleanness right, right now on stage? Where's the uncleanness? Where is it? Say it out loud. Where is it? It's in me. It's in my heart. Oh my gosh. That means if I built fences to China to not do that, I stand condemned, murderous, adulterous, a fornicator, a liar, deceitful. Do you see, it? it's in my heart, oh my gosh. Now, if you really get this, okay, if, this, if you go, whoa, my gosh, the problem's in the heart, then we go, how does someone clean their heart? No, but if I do this and I don't do that and I do this, I, then my heart will be clean. You can't 
clean your heart by what you do? Good, good, good. Or what you don't do? Good, good. You can't clean your own heart. Jeremiah 17, nine, he said it. The heart is what? It's, it's so deceitful. It's, it's beyond your imagination, the deceit that comes out of the heart. It's desperately ugh, wicked. Oh my. Now you can, you can choose what the world says about a human being, or you can choose what God says about every human being. And God says that we are born with this vile heart. Y'all, that's not meanness. That's called truth that we inherit from Adam and Eve who rebelled against God. We inherit their genes and we inherit who they are. We, we inherit that rebellion, where? In the heart. When Jesus redefines purity, he has now made it. It's impossible. You get that? It is impossible to be pure because it's in the heart. Now, just to make the analogy, this is not, you know, I'm switching and calling this heart. The, the, it'd be like me saying to you, you need, a, you need a heart transplant and you need to perform it on yourself. <laughs> you can't do it. And this is where I want you to think about it. This is the gift of an unclean heart. What do you mean it's a gift? Well, I mean this. If there's nothing I can do to clean my heart, to be pure, then I have, to, I have to give up trying and call on the mercy of God. God, I can't do it. That's a gift. Because until you get there, y'all, until you, and can I say this? These are things that I, I've been a Christian 40 years. I've just really begun to grasp some of this in the last 10. That's a God's honest truth. Until you get to that place of helpless, but, and you think, no, I've got something I can bring to the table and do. Humanly, you'll do it and you'll try. You, you, could, you can't not, you'll just keep trying. But helplessness is the ground of hopefulness. That's weird, isn't it? Helplessness is the ground of hopefulness. Well, you, well I, I'll say it this way. Because when you're helpless, see, you, you, you put it all down and you just, I can't, God will you. And now you have opened yourself to grace. Gra you've opened yourself to grace in that moment. Grace will tolerate no partner. You don't, grace is not, okay, I'll do my part and you do. 
Grace tolerates no partner. Grace is all of God, his mercy toward us, undeserving. But, but why would he do that for me? Because he loves you. But I, because he loves you. Because he chooses to. You don't earn it. But you're not open to it till you're helpless. See, the problem is this. I mean, let's get to this. This is how bad it is. We need a new heart. Your, your, the heart you're born with won't get you into heaven. That's what Nicodemus found out. We need a new heart. And what did Ezekiel say? Ezekiel said, when Messiah comes, he will give you a new heart, give you a new spirit, remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'm just telling you, the gospel comes, Jesus comes. And y'all, this is what Ezekiel was talking about. When we trust that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, was buried, raised again, and that he did it for us. You understand, in that moment, have a new heart. His spirit lives within me. And all I brought to the party was fornication, adulteries, wickedness. I brought my sin. Can't earn a new, you can't earn a new heart. You just receive it. Why this lesson for the disciples? Because see, the disciples came along and why is it this particular time he gives them this lesson? Do you know what I think? I think the disciples had their own fences. Just wondering here, you think they felt pretty good about the miracles they performed just a few days ago? You think they feel pretty good about the exorcism they did? You kind of think they're so close to Jesus, they figure they're in, we're in. I kind of do. And Jesus has got to show them, you know, it's not what you did for me. It's not the demons you cast out. Look, there's, and they're not going to get this till after the resurrection. But you and I can get it right now, right? If you don't know Christ, can I say to you, you can't be clean enough. God has got to do something. And in this moment, if it's dawning on you, I can't do it, but Jesus did. Believe it. And you're saved. <laughs> I know many in the room have trusted Christ, if not most, I know that. So let me say this to you. If you've been a Christian follower for decades, would you ponder the thought, have you been building real sweet picket fences yourself? Quiet time. I just served in the Smoky Mountains. It's pretty good. I gave that money for the room. I'm not speaking about that family at all. I'm just, you know, I'm just saying we, we, we can, and those are good things. They're good things. But if, if you think that did anything to make you more acceptable to God, bad thing, you see. 
Those things, this is where you need to go if you're a Christian. Don't confuse your justification with your sanctification. Don't confuse what God declares to be true the moment you believe him that can never change. You're with me forever, you're cleansed forever and nothing, you, you can't work your way out of this because God did it. Don't confuse justified justification with sanctification, which means, okay, now I've got these years to live on earth. How am I supposed to live? We know how you're supposed to live. You're supposed to live in a way that matures you in the faith and you become more like God. You become in your life more and more like what God has already declared you to be. And you know what that looks like? It looks like me screwing up and making mistakes and you sinning and everything else. We still sin, but we're forgiven, we're cleansed. And we live out of our justification. We don't live toward it. Does that make sense? Because this is what happens. The law, and I, I keep going long on this stuff. I'm so sorry. The law is good. Y'all, when, when God said, don't do this, let's, you know, when it's, don't touch the podium, the law is good. And so it's not like Jesus comes along and says, blah, I'm gonna get rid of the law. What Jesus does with the law is he fulfills it. He fulfilled the law. He didn't dump it. And therefore, when I am born again, when Christ is in me, let me tell you something. It doesn't happen all at once. Some people it does maybe, but it doesn't happen all at once. But you know, I'll give my Christian life and I'll, I'll still touch it because that's what the law does. What does the law do? The law says don't touch it. And you know, that's what the law does. <laughs> but you know, the law has done its work when it has so crushed you because you can't keep it perfectly that you stop trying. Ding, 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 ding. The school teacher has done it's work and now you cry out for mercy from God and he saves you. And now when it says don't touch it, you know what, if I touch it, God, you've forgiven me. But over time, guess what happens? Because I've been transformed in the heart, not just my will, not just my behavior, but I've been changed. And so now I come up and God says, don't touch the, the podium. And guess what? This is God as God my witness. I don't wanna touch it anymore. That's the Christian life. He's changed my wants because now I'm finding that in him is everything I need. Man, I can preach this, but I'm just, just so you know, I don't live it perfectly, but it's true. This is what's true. Let's stand together. I gotta run you out of here. Um, how many miracles does it take for you to fully trust God? Just one, just one miracle, that's all. Which one? The one when you get back here and say I'm helpless because for you to say you're helpless is a miracle. <coughs> Ask any of us. You don't have to be an addict to say that. For a human being to say I, I'm helpless is a miracle of God and in that moment, we can cry out to him and he saves us. What you cannot do, God has done for you. What you will not do, God has done for you. His mercy is greater than your shame. His faithfulness is more powerful than your will. His loving kindness surpasses your wisdom. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. God bless.